When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Back in 2014, I was almost murdered by my ex-partner. Um, and what led to me joining this campaign, it was actually spearheaded by Laura Richards, who is the founder of Paladin, the National Stalking Advocacy Service. Um, uh, I, I, I was almost murdered by Jason Smith, and he was then convicted of GBH Section 18. Once he was found guilty, we... Uh, I soon found out that he was a serial perpetrator. So he was known to police. He had done this before and actually had done it before to a police officer. So the fear is that if they can actually get away with it by doing it to a police officer, how do the rest of us um, stand in that? So it, it led me to the, the campaign to have serial abusers put on a register. The register actually exists, so I was never asking for a new register. It was the Violent and Sex Offenders Register and open that out to domestic abusers and stalking. And this has been a campaign that's been running for many, well, two decades. And we've got almost 300,000 signatures on the petition. And, and every year, you know, I've been banging my drum to get this put into law you know it's 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 really important that we collect the pattern of behavior and something you just mentioned before in when you said there's little evidence and, and and often yes there can be little evidence but if you collect those small incidents that actually rack up and then the pattern yeah. and the escalation it then shows you more of a picture of what's going on is this register going to be publicly accessible? So, I mean, for example, if you start a new relationship with somebody and, and you just detect that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with some of the things that he or she is, is, is doing, will members of the public be able to access it? So the Violent and Sex Offenders Register isn't a public register. It's already used for sex offenders, as we know. Um, but there is a thing called Claire's Law that you can go to your... So if you are concerned about an, a new partner that you're in a relationship with or maybe a family member's in a relationship with, you can go to the police and ask for a Claire's Law disclosure. And then the police can then disclose that information if, if it's deemed, you know, it, that it should be disclosed. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst. I want to share some great news with you, and it's really bonkers that I'm only just getting around to sharing it with you, although I have posted about it online. So if you follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and yes, Crime Analyst has a new YouTube channel, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 
On Monday the 20th of February, the Home Secretary announced that the most dangerous domestic abusers will go on the Violent and Sexual Offenders Register. Now, if you've been following my work, you will know this is huge. This has been 22 years in the making. And you'll know that there have been so many horrific cases where women have been felled and many murdered by serial perpetrators, too many to mention here, but cases include Sarah Everard, Sabina Nessa, Jane Clough, Alice Ruggles, Shana Grice, Maria Stubbings, Kerry McCauley, Cheryl Gabriel Hooper, Janet Scott, Pearl Black, Holly Gazzard, Justine Reese, and like I said, there have just been too many to name, but I have continued to identify cases and work with families and survivors and flag the cases across more than two decades, and the cases have seemed relentless. And the resistance to bringing in this change has been very real. And you know, I always wondered about the resistance to doing what makes absolute logical sense. I mean, police go after terrorists, organised criminals, serial robbers, burglars and rapists. But yet there has been such a resistance regarding domestic abusers and stalkers. And I just can't even begin to describe how bananas it's been over the last two decades. What I can tell you is that I've written more than 100 reports and briefings on the subject over the years. I've produced overwhelming and compelling evidence and a detailed plan of how it could work, but still there was pushback and resistance. You know, I first recommended this should happen in 2001 in a report I wrote when I worked at New Scotland Yard entitled Getting Away With It, a strategic overview of domestic violence, sexual assault and serious incident analysis. I profiled and tracked 400 perpetrators. The cases were shocking and horrific. You know, these men were harming multiple women and children, escalating their behaviour and getting away with it, which greenlit them to do it again and again. The title was very clear and intentional, and my report and findings led to the Metropolitan Police Service being the first police service to proactively identify and target serial and repeat domestic abusers. And I've been recommending it ever since. Like I said, I've written scores of reports and parliamentary briefings and worked with incredible survivors. For too long, women have not been listened to, believed or prioritised when reporting abuse and violence by men. There's been a focus on blaming women when abused, blaming women who are murdered and when they disappear and allowing violent men to claim the narrative and offend with impunity. So why has there been so much resistance? You know, that's not a rhetorical question because I've thought about this a lot. Firstly, I wondered whether it came down to a misunderstanding. Perhaps some thought that maybe I was saying that we needed a separate database when absolutely that was not what I was advocating for. I was saying we should have one database and there should be join up. So then it seemed to come down to resources. And yes, resources are an issue, particularly as services have been decimated. But what I've always said is it's a false economy not to do this. The Home Office costed domestic abuse recently the cost to society, and they estimated that it's around £66 billion every year. And in America, it costs trillions of dollars. But to investigate one murder in the UK, it's around £3 million. And it's also RIP, rest in peace, but also reputation in pieces when you get it wrong. And then there's the multiple police call-outs. One call is roughly £1,500 to attend. 
And of course, there are multiple call-outs. And then when there's a horrific murder, there's often numerous reviews to find, in inverted commas, the lessons to be learned. In some cases, there's up to 11 or 12 separate reviews. And what I can tell you is that reviews are not cheap. And yes, I do know all of the costings as the previous head of the Homicide Prevention Unit at New Scotland Yard. But the point is that I've had all these lessons for many, many years now, and they've not been listened to, and they've not been acted upon. Why is that? Well, I believe that there's an apathy and unwillingness to prioritise women and children, and an unwillingness to go after repeat violent men. Although, having said that, in some police services, we did do it, but there needs to be a national join-up for this to work, as perpetrators travel, and they also change names. And yes, some of you might be thinking, well, there's Claire's Law, and there's a duty there, you can ask about someone's history, and the police then make a decision about whether they share that history. Well, the biggest challenge here is that there's no duty on the police to identify serial perpetrators and put the intelligence on a national system. And therefore, Claire's law is incredibly limited. And so there's been little interest and investment in doing this over the years. But I really think it comes down to misogyny and women being seen as less important, second-class citizens. Women are not valued. And I do believe that if men were being killed at the same rate, there would be cobra meetings. Just think about these one-punch laws that get introduced very quickly. You know, when men have been hitting each other outside of bars or clubs. Well, it's interesting when these laws come in quickly. Why is it possible that the law can change when it's men who are the victims and yet nothing happens when it's women? That's an important question to think about. Also, I'll give you another context. When I raise this as an issue, I'm often called a man-hater just because I advocate for women. What's that about? I mean, for me, it's just more evidence of misogyny. Me calling it out is not the issue. The men committing the abuse and violence and killing women are. And it's astounding to me that men don't focus on those men and hold them to account. That would be massively refreshing and would make a significant change. And it also makes sense to do regarding money, because it would actually save money and it would save time. So it's a no-brainer, really. But it was still voted down in Parliament in 2021 when we came so close to this happening. And I'm just going to give you a quick recap of what happened. In 2021, Baroness Royal and a cohort of peers in the House of Lords defeated the government. I'd shared many briefings on the subject and I knew that so many supported the campaign and I really felt that this could be it. But when it came to the vote, 232 peers voted against Amendment 73, our amendment, and 216 of them were Conservative members of Parliament. That, to me, and to many other people, was astounding. This is in the context of the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Home Secretary Priti Patel stating that women's safety was a priority to them. I mean, you literally cannot make this up. And you see, for me, words and actions are really important to listen to and watch. But the most important thing that I assess as a criminal behavioural analyst is someone's behaviour. What they actually do. And check it against what they say, particularly at critical times. And as you've heard me say so many times before, context is really important. Context, context, context. 
This was in the wake of a serving Metropolitan Police officer, Wayne Cousins, using his police identification and handcuffs to abduct, rape and murder Sarah Everard. Also, the police missed opportunities to identify Cousins as a potential sex offender leading up to Sarah's murder. Everyone was outraged about Sarah's case and many others, and this was a critical tipping point. However, in response, the government, well, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, felt the solution was tweaking guidance, i.e. tweaking pieces of paper, even though we made it very clear that it wouldn't work and we'd bring the campaign back to Parliament when it failed. And failed it did. But the costs and the stakes are incredibly high. With failures, we're talking about the fact that more women and children were harmed and murdered. And unfortunately, that is exactly what happened. What Priti Patel and the government did agree to do was to create the perpetrator strategy which we'd asked for and update the Violent and Sexual Offenders Register, the database which had not been invested in since 2003 when it first came in. And for the first time, a domestic abuse policing plan was announced on the 30th of March 2022, which would include prioritising prevention, supporting victims, pursuing perpetrators and a stronger system. So that all sounds good, right? Well, on paper it sounded great, but in reality little changed. In fact, I've argued recently that it's been getting worse. The cases have been never-ending and horrific. So many cases, which I've highlighted over the years, including many domestic violence murders, where women reported repeat violent men and they were not protected. In fact, in most cases, nothing happened. I wrote a petition update on January the 31st because I was so angry and incensed by what was going on and I'm going to share some of what I wrote with you. Okay, so this is what I wrote. Despite the government's reassurances, talk of a perpetrator strategy and tweaking of guidance, there's still no proactive identification or monitoring of serial and violent offenders and women are paying with their lives. Zara Alina was murdered in June 2022 by serial perpetrator Jordan McSweeney. McSweeney had 28 previous convictions for 69 separate offences, dating back 17 years, including violence to his ex-partners and a restraining order. He was a high-risk offender, released as a medium-risk offender because the probation service did not have access to his extensive history of violence against women. He came out of prison and was caught on camera, searching for a woman to harm. He stalked Zara. He sexually assaulted her and kicked and beat her to death. His extensive history of violence should have been joined up. He should not have been released. Zara's murder was preventable. Another case I wrote about was Ashley Wadsworth. On February the 1st, 2022, Ashley Wadsworth was found dead in Essex. She had been strangled and stabbed more than 90 times in a brutal attack by boyfriend Jack Seppel. Hayley Wadsworth says that her 19-year-old sister would still be alive if her family had known about Seppel's previous convictions against women for harassment and assault. I also included the case of Reagan Tierney. In June 2019, Reagan Tierney was killed by her ex-partner Daniel Patton. He threatened to kill her after she separated from him. Reagan called Greater Manchester Police in fear for her life. The police failed to investigate or risk assess Reagan, despite her and her father repeatedly calling the police. 
Days later, Patton stabbed her to death. Reagan was subject to coercive and controlling behaviour, intimidation, verbal abuse, physical violence and threats at the hands of Daniel Patton. And last week, a serving Metropolitan Police officer, David Carrick, admitted to at least 80 sex attacks on women, including 49 rapes. Despite nine allegations to police of his violence to women across his career and his nickname, Bastard Dave, the Metropolitan Police Service failed to spot the pattern and act. He not only remained in office, he was promoted and given a firearm. He should have been stopped much earlier. Last year, the government promised to make male violence towards women and girls a strategic policing priority, yet there is no evidence that this has happened. Since 2001, I've shown overwhelming evidence of cases where women and children have been abused and murdered by serial domestic abusers and stalkers, and still there is no real action. Just talk, and the sound of papers being shuffled. Enough is enough. We said we would bring this back to Parliament. Talk is cheap, and too many have died. We demand action. Women and children's lives must be a priority. Now, I signed off by asking people to write to their Member of Parliament again and share the petition. And yes, I started the campaign again in earnest, just as I said I would, and I've been working with various influential peers and others again to ensure that this is done properly. Women now, more than ever, need to see male violence perpetrated against women being prioritised and made a strategic policing priority, particularly given the deep mistrust and distrust of the police given these failures, institutional misogyny and sheer bloody-minded resistance to do the right thing. And I really don't say that lightly. So what is the law change? Well, the law will change to ensure offenders who have been convicted for 12 months or more for coercive control or a suspended sentence are automatically eligible to be managed by the police, prison and probation service under the Multi-Agency Public Protection Arrangement, MAPA, and they'll also be added to VISA, the Violent and Sexual Offenders Register. Now, I know that this will only be relevant to a smaller number of perpetrators, particularly given the low prosecution and conviction rate, but we must not lose sight of this being something to build upon, and it paves the way forward for future changes in the UK and in other countries. Also, high-risk perpetrators without convictions are also being prioritised, just as we recommended. And yes, as I always say, the devil is in the detail. There must be proper investment in this so that there are resources to match. Cultural change is long overdue and this is a big step forward to ensure perpetrators are made visible and accountable for their behaviour and their actions. But this mustn't be half-cocked or used to score political points. It must be done properly and thoughtfully there's too much at stake lest we continue to count the cost in women and children's lives. And you know, training will be absolutely key to all of this. Training of all professionals, including the police, Crown Prosecution Service, probation, prison staff, courts, health, social services, therapists, teachers, specialist services, etc. It's really important that they understand what coercive control is, how to identify it, and also identify high-risk serial perpetrators. And I will be running new masterclass training in the spring. So I have new dates that are just being announced, a stalking masterclass or how to identify it, 
and how to assess it and manage it and how to manage the perpetrators. That will be on May 9th and 10th. The Dash University accredited masterclass, the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment and honour-based violence risk model masterclass. That will be on May 23rd and 24th. There's a masterclass to identify, assess and manage coercive control and coercive controllers. And that's going to be on June the 6th and 7th. And the Dash Train the Trainer, which is university accredited, that will be on June the 20th and 21st. And we already know that we've got a lot of people interested in Dash. So I will be running another Dash date and there will be further classes towards September and October. So and the other thing just to say is that I have launched Crime Analyst on YouTube and I'm really excited about that. You'll find episodes on Nicola Bully's case, on coercive control, Andrew Tate, Ghislaine Maxwell, and much more. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new content. And it also supports and underpins my training. So I'm going to end by paying tribute to all the survivors and families who've bravely shared their stories over the years, including John Clough, Zoe Dromfield, Georgia Gabriel Hooper, Charlotte Neer, Gemma Aitchison and Celia Peachy. Now, I know it hasn't been easy, but you carried on and persevered and you deserve to be recognised for it. And so if others fail to recognise you, please know I am forever grateful to you. And I'm also grateful to all of you lovely lot. Just under 300,000 of you signed the petition. So thank you. And also all the amazing professionals. I know many of you listen to Crime Analyst. I know many of you signed the petition. You wanted this change. You supported Amendment 73 and all my campaigning and requests to write letters and so on. There are far too many of you to mention. But that should also be very clear to the government. Many professionals wanted this to happen. There's a very clear message. And lastly, thank you to Baroness Royal and all who spoke out about why this is so important, including Baroness Newlove, Baroness Brinton, Lord Hunt, Lord Russell, Baroness Burton, and many others. We did it. And yes, there's a lot more to come, but we did it. And my last thing to say is the irony isn't lost on me that certain senior police officers are coming out on social media in support of this, and I almost choked on my tea seeing that. You know, we could have really done with your support throughout the campaign and you must credit those of us who've done the hard work. And if you're trying to create trust and confidence in policing from women, my advice to you is don't steal our voices and our hard work. It's not a good look and we are watching. But I'm going to end on a positive because this is a significant victory and change that will pave the way for more and for other countries to do the same. So book on to the masterclass training where you'll hear much more from me about the new changes coming in and I'm going to keep this short and sweet and don't forget to jump onto YouTube and subscribe to Crime Analyst as I post unique content on there too. Okay you lovely lot, until next time, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instincts. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. 
Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Robottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.